skinned man with a gray beard and a black business suit gripped the railing beside him. Without making eye contact, the African spoke. My brother, all this smoke. I need to quit smoking. What is your brand of cigarette? asked the American. Marlboro. The American nodded. Where's my dossier? First, the gift. The American glanced over both shoulders, then eyed his contact. After a hesitation, he reached into his jacket and withdrew an envelope. It quickly disappeared into the old man's pocket. We walk? That's not the deal, said the American, grabbing the other man's forearm. Give me the dossier or I am leaving with my money. No, too many eyes here, he said. Not safe. He pulled away from the American's grip and dialed a number on a cheap flip phone. In short bursts, he whispered, The Marlboro man is here. We are on our way. He snapped the phone closed and grabbed the American's hand. This way, my brother. Silently, the two men walked down another path toward the bridge, spanning the 650-foot gorge between Zimbabwe and neighboring Zambia. The bridge had been built to signal friendship between the two allies, but instead, it provided a constant reminder of the stark trajectories of the two countries. Two nations, two anchors of the British Empire in Africa. Zambia had been granted independence in 1964, and Zimbabwe, then called Rhodesia, was supposed to have been next. But white settlers preempted London and declared Rhodesia independent. As Zimbabwe descended into a long and nasty civil war, Zambia basked in the confidence of a new nation, even allowing guerrillas to use its territory to fight the Rhodesians and the South African apartheid juggernaut. In 1980, the Rhodesian War ended and Zimbabwe gained its own independence. But by this time, Zambia had slumped into a morass of corruption and debt. Zimbabwe was the new hope. Two decades later, the tide had turned again. Zambia was back on the rise while Zimbabwe was rotting. As the young Americans stepped onto the Victoria Falls Bridge, Zimbabwe was poisoning itself with a toxic cocktail of greed, dictatorship, and fear. At that moment, however, the American wasn't thinking about that. After a few steps, he stopped. I, I, I don't like this. I'm going back. He peered over the railing, scanning for crocodiles 420 feet below. My brother, it is up to you. The African hid his impatience. You have come all this way. The choice is yours. Shit, the old man is right. The American had spent most of the past eight months working towards this moment. All the hours spent digging into files, all the late nights tracking bank records the long, hot days taking testimony in a sweaty, thatched hut. He was now so close. Success depended on the final piece, the dossier. Success and a big promotion. Let's do it, he said, pointing at his contact's chest. But if you fuck me, you and your boss are dead. The old man laughed, not the reaction the American had expected. There is no need for that, my brother. Dead meat, the American muttered under his breath. The two strode across the bridge, 
passing a Swedish couple holding hands and a young Zimbabwean family. Most of the other tourists had retreated to their hotels for a sundowner. Gin and tonics were still popular among certain crowds in this part of the world, and an early dinner of plate-sized steaks. Two middle-aged African men, also in suits, approached from the opposite side of the bridge. One was holding a legal-sized manila envelope. The four men met at the very center, the border, the highest point. The American accepted the envelope in silence, turned his back to the others to open it and claim his prize. The cover was a fuzzy black-and-white photocopy of an Ethiopian passport. So far, so good. The next page was blank, and the next, and the next. He scrunched his forehead as anger rose within him. What the fuck? He twisted his body to turn back, but strong hands grabbed his arms and his ankles and lifted him high.